Today on Let the Bible Speak. How a blissful trip to another world led to a painful time on earth. Next. Welcome. I'm glad to be with you today, and I'm thankful for a few moments of your time to look into the Word of God. One of the most common questions people ask about God is why He allows suffering, especially in the lives of His own people who love Him and are trying to serve Him. It seems logical that if God is sovereign over this world, and if He possesses all power, that He could and would easily remove any difficulty and pain from the lives of His children. But He does not. Why? Well, there are several reasons suggested in the Word of God, but today we want to focus on one in particular. God sometimes allows us to suffer for our own good. You say, but that doesn't seem right. Perhaps it seemed that way even to the Apostle Paul. But he came to understand that it's true nonetheless, and it led to him having a completely different perspective on his trials and tribulations, of which Paul experienced many. Let's read together from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the first eight verses. There he writes, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, and he's speaking of himself, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. What were these visions and revelations to Paul about? And what was this thorn in the flesh given to him? What did one have to do with the other? And most importantly, what was God doing to Paul in all of this? What lesson did he learn, and is there a lesson for us too? I want us to study about that today in our lesson, The Thorn in the Flesh, after a song from the congregation.
One of the Apostle Paul's greatest challenges and annoyances in his ministry was the influence of Judaizing teachers among the churches. These false prophets were preaching a perverted gospel. They had corrupted the truth by adding to the gospel the ordinances of the Old Testament law, especially circumcision. These men were infiltrating the churches Paul had established throughout the Greek world, and they were binding tenets of the Old Covenant upon these new believers. At the same time, they were telling the churches not to pay any attention to Paul. They were undermining his influence and challenging his credentials as a true apostle of Christ. Paul faced this all throughout his ministry because he was converted and made an apostle later than the other apostles. Some were suspicious of Paul, and they accused him of preaching a false message, and so they wanted to turn churches like Corinth against him. So Paul made a vigorous defense of his apostleship and his message by pointing to several things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he shows them that he was not some charlatan who was simply fleecing them for money by preaching a false and seductive message. Rather, he says that he had refused to take any money from them. He had every right to take financial support as a preacher, but he would not charge them for his work so that they could not accuse him of falsely preaching for money. He then points to his Jewish credentials. The Judaizers claimed to follow the laws of Moses, but Paul reminds them that no one was more of a Jew by birth or background than he was. And third, he points to his many sacrifices and sufferings that he had willingly endured for their sakes. He had subjected himself to poor treatment, outright persecution, deprivation, almost lost his life, and he selflessly devoted himself to the care of the churches at great expense. Now those are not the characteristics of a hypocrite. But then, greater than all, Paul cautiously shared with them a great experience the Lord had granted to him many years before. It was an experience that others could not claim. The Judaizers who were trying to upstage and outshine Paul could not make such a boast, but Paul could. He says in our text in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 2, I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise, and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now the first thing we should see is that God honored Paul. Paul was very privileged to be an apostle and to be used by the Lord as one of his select ambassadors. And beyond that, God had imparted several visions and revelations to Paul, some of which were unique. A vision was when God would supernaturally transport one in mind or person to see something. Such visions were rare, and they were granted to only select ones in the age of revelation. Now, by the term revelations, he means that God had supernaturally revealed certain things to him. We can read of several such experiences throughout the book of Acts, for example, and these were exciting and exclusive things that Paul was allowed to see and receive as an apostle of Jesus. Perhaps the greatest of all of them, though, was this one, which so overwhelmed Paul that he was careful in speaking of it. In fact, there were aspects of this vision that God would not permit him to tell anyone about, specifically the things that he heard spoken while he was there. Paul, in spirit, and maybe even in his body, was transported to the third heaven, which refers to the abode of the Godhead and the angels, and the Bible says, into paradise. It was such an awesome and glorious experience that Paul even refers to himself in the third person as he describes it. 
Now, if all of that sounds mysterious to us, imagine being Paul. He couldn't even fully comprehend what had occurred. For example, when he went there mentally, whether he went there mentally or in his literal body. And we don't know why God took him there or what God showed him or what he said to him while he was there, but God had some purpose in giving Paul this grand privilege. There is no doubt that God honored Paul with this marvelous experience. Can you imagine if God were to allow some preacher in our own time to experience such a thing? Do you think they could keep it quiet like Paul apparently had for so long? Well, of course not. They would write a book about their seven minutes in heaven, or they would sell it as a thrilling movie plot. There would doubtless be a speaking tour, and they would make the rounds on the TV and radio talk show circuit. And if their claim were believable, millions would clamor to see them and meet them. They would instantly become a star, at least in the evangelical world, as it's called. There would be little limit to their fame and their stature because of the experience they had had. And even as great of a man and humble of a servant of Christ as Paul was, it was a temptation for Paul to use this sensational vision and other revelations he had received as a means of acceptance and popularity with the people on a personal level. Well, we're not living in the apostolic era, and since all truth that God intended to reveal to man has been revealed, we're not living in the age of such visions and revelations as Paul and others received. However, sometimes God uses people in remarkable ways. Sometimes preachers are maybe incredibly talented, or they're given great opportunities for ministry, or they're used by God, and with such perceived honor comes the temptation to pride and uh, self-importance, haughtiness, such is true with the Christian in general. Some people are used by God in great ways. They're especially effective in the church, or they possess talents, opportunities, and privileges that others do not for whatever reason. And when doors always seem to be opened and not shut, when our successes seem to outnumber our setbacks, when our dreams seem to never be replaced with disappointments, well, you would think if that be the case, we would glorify God for all of that. But that's rarely the case. Ironically, the easier the Christian experience seems to be, the colder our faith often grows and the more distant from God we drift. That's just a historical fact. God taught Paul an important lesson you see in all of this. And the lesson that Paul learned was that it may have been tempting to boast about visions and revelations and the honors and the privileges, the victories and the successes and his place as an apostle. But such boasting was misplaced and it was wrong. In verses 5 and 6 he says, Of such a one, speaking of himself and the honor he had received, I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be, or hears from me. Now Paul is simply saying that I could brag about this experience, and unlike others who apparently had tried to impress the Corinthians with incredulous claims of miraculous experiences, Paul would have been telling the truth. But Paul didn't want their estimate of him to be based on his claims of how God had honored him. He wanted their faith to be in God, not in man. And that's the very lesson that God was teaching Paul himself. For Paul to place his faith in God and not in Paul. What do I mean by that? I mean that Paul, like the rest of us, had to learn that it is not what Paul had done for God, but what God had done for Paul. You see, God may have honored Paul, but then God humbled Paul. 
because God didn't want Paul thinking more of Paul than he should have. So notice what he says in verse 7. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now to keep Paul from becoming proud, self-sufficient, which is always a temptation to man when he enjoys successes in life, God balanced his success with suffering. Just as God had honored Paul, he then humbled him. And Paul in the process had to learn how to take both from the hand of the Lord. What was Paul's mysterious thorn in the flesh? The Bible does not explicitly tell us, and of course Bible students and theologians have an array of ideas about the matter. You can get into a lively discussion if you want to with somebody who studies the Bible about what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And if we were to list all of the ideas that people have posited and explain them all, we, we would need much longer than the time of this program. But what clues do the scriptures perhaps give? Whatever it was, Paul calls it a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now of all of the theories, there are two general ideas that I believe have merit. One is that this was a literal fleshly affliction, that Paul was dealing with some illness or physical disability that was causing him great pain and annoyance. Uh, and there is no clue within this text beyond that. One frequent suggestion is that Paul was nearly blind. Some have theorized that he's referring to a case of malaria that he had contracted. Others think uh, perhaps something like kidney stones, and yet others have said maybe migraine headaches. But then there is the possibility that Paul is speaking more metaphorically and referring to the persecution that he had to face from unbelieving Jews. This phrase, thorn in the flesh, comes from three words in the original text which could be translated in the flesh, which then would likely refer to something literally bothering Paul's fleshly body. But it could also be translated for the flesh, which would carry more the idea that whatever this was, the word flesh simply means that it was something Paul had to deal with as long as he lived in the flesh or in his temporal body, something he would grapple with throughout his life, in other words. And if that be the case, it's likely referring more to a circumstance, such as the violent opposition that he was facing in his ministry. Either explanation could fit the language as best we understand it. We know that sometimes Satan was allowed to afflict people with bodily illness as a test of their faith, such as in the case of Job. But we also know that peoples and nations can be symbolically referred to as thorns as well. I wouldn't argue with you about it, but I personally tend to believe that Paul was referring to the persecution he faced nearly everywhere he went. Back in Numbers chapter 33 and verse 55, the Canaanites, for example, are referred to as irritants in the eyes and thorns in the sides of the Israelites. Well, that wasn't a bodily affliction. That was a constant antagonism that the Israelites faced, a foe that they continually had to face. You know, also, when Paul says this thorn was a messenger of Satan to buffet him, that word buffet means to strike with the fist. And it's the same word used by Mark to describe the abuse the physical abuse that Jesus received at his trial. At the end of the day, however, it's not important to know what the thorn was as much as it is to understand the purpose the thorn served. And that's the lesson in it for you and for me. This thorn was allowed by God to accomplish something in the heart and life of Paul. In fact, listen to the English Standard Version in verse 7. 
It renders it so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You see, God allowed Paul to suffer in order to keep him from thinking too highly of himself and to keep him from forgetting his reliance upon God's strength. Friend, that should help anyone who is a Christian understand the point of much of the suffering in our own lives. Don't we often ask, why would God allow such trouble to come into our lives if we're trying to live for Him? If we're on His side or trying to be on His side, wouldn't He be on our side? If God cares about us, why doesn't He take all of these problems away? After all, after all, He has the power to do so. It may indeed be physical problems, disabilities, sicknesses, limitations, but it may be other types of difficulty. Maybe it is antagonization and opposition from unbelievers or false brethren, enemies. Maybe it's even the consequences of our past sins and failures. You know, God is gracious and willing to forgive, but that doesn't erase the earthly consequences of our sins. And sometimes there's pardon, yet there's punishment in this life. And the prouder we were when we sinned, the farther and harder the fall. You know, there are many who live with hard regrets, bitter reminders that they will never fly quite as high as they might have had they never fallen into some sin. And it's not that, uh, it's not that we glory in the consequences and fall out of sin, but it's simply the fact that God can use unfortunate things and God can use things that came out of a terrible situation and He can turn them around and use them for our good and ultimately for His glory. It may be some other limitation that you think keeps you from being all that you think you should be for Jesus Christ. Have you ever stopped to think that thorn might just be for our own good? You know, it was for Paul. Painful as it was, and painful as it may be for you or for me, whatever your thorn or my thorn may be if you're a Christian, it is for our good if we'll just stop and look at it through the eyes of the Lord. Because before we close, I want you to see that God humbled Paul so that the, he could then help him. Paul earnestly prayed to the Lord three times or on three different occasions. He was really doing business with God and he was begging, pleading with God to take away what he viewed as this obstacle to his success in the ministry. But Notice how God answered in verse 9. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul needed to learn that any strength he had was only in and through God. It was God's strength through him. He had to painfully learn a lesson that most of us could stand to learn ourselves as we tend to become conceited and self-sufficient and prideful. God hates pride, and he loves his people too much to let us go on living in something that he detests. And so he works to crush that pride to remove that pride from our lives. And if we refuse to humble ourselves, then we destine ourselves for ultimate destruction. Pride goes before fall. Paul was humbled. Paul accepted God's rebuke. Paul accepted God's, God's discipline in his life. And he learned to accept God's help instead of bitterly resenting the suffering. And you see, in the end, God was glorified by the humble and committed life of this faithful servant. Think about how Paul was before he came to Christ. 
Paul was a devoted man in his mind to God and his will, but how misguided he was. And Paul was, had every reason to be puffed up and proud and conceited in all of his accomplishments and in his resume as a Jew before he became a Christian. And he was going about persecuting those who were Christians. And you remember what God told Ananias? He told him when he was sending him there to uh, the city, Damascus, to, to, to preach to Paul, to baptize Paul, he told him, I, must, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And God did just that. And it transformed Paul into a completely different person with a whole different attitude. Now listen to Paul in verse 10 of our text. This is what he learned. He said, Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And friend, that's the whole point in Paul's thorn in the flesh. That's the lesson that Paul learned from his sufferings. And that's the lesson that we should learn from our own sufferings if we are children of God. Lean upon God and His grace and His help. Don't become bitter about suffering. Rather learn to be benefited by suffering. That doesn't mean that suffering is pleasurable in the sense that we enjoy going through the suffering. But it means that we understand we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in the flesh. Trouble and adversity and trials are going to come. And God allows that to be. And God uses those things to make us better people. Say like Paul, His grace is sufficient. And realize that God, as Paul told the Corinthians earlier in this same letter in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Listen, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory.
Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts plus extra videos including Let the Bible Speak classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. As always, it's been good to be with you today. If you would like to have a free transcript of our sermon, get in touch with us and ask for the lesson, A Thorn in the Flesh. And we will get that free copy to you as soon as we can. Don't forget to connect with us online. Stay in touch throughout the week. We're at ltbstv.org and also on social media such as Facebook and YouTube. And do us a favor, subscribe to our YouTube channel, won't you, and share our content. We would surely appreciate that and you'll help spread the gospel in the process. Thanks for joining us today for the broadcast. I hope to see you back here next time if God is willing. Until then, have a wonderful week ahead. May the Lord richly bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.